If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. Tonight at 6 o'clock here in the Worship Center, we are having a, uh, having a worship night with Pastor Mike and the team. I'd encourage you to come and to be a part of that time together. And um, from 6 to 7-ish, whenever we decide to wrap it up, I would love for you to come and hang out with us. Uh, a little snapshot of what heaven's going to be like. Hope you'll come and join us. So we've handled some pretty heavy stuff over the last couple of weeks. And, and while we're going to start heavy this weekend, I do want to give you some hope um, so that you won't think that you're going to need medication after this service like you have over the last couple of weeks, okay? We've been talking about suffering. We've been working through some tough parts of Scripture. and We're going to get to a very good place by the time we're done today. As a pastor, one of the toughest parts of my job is walking with people who've been touched by death. Just in this past week, four couples at, this, at, the, at Christ the King here suffered a miscarriage. And they're grieving and hurting. Their burning question for me when I sit down with them is, is my baby in heaven? And I love being able to comfort them with the truth that Scripture teaches us that God embraces the innocence of that little soul and that they can trust a baby that they never met as, as in God's providence and sovereignty, that little life passed from God's hand and, and landed in theirs even just for an instance and then went right back into His hand again. I tell them that if you have the, the, the knowledge and assurance of heaven, someday you'll have an opportunity to meet that little one face to face. And that's what gives you hope. It doesn't make the pain go away, but that's what gives you hope. This past week, I sat with some kids who, who their burning question for me was, is suicide unforgivable? They were asking that question because their father took his own life. My answer to them was the only Unforgivable sin, according to Scripture, is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, which means to die without bending your knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to believe that you can do this completely on your own. And, and, and while su- suicide is unbelievably cruel and selfish, that, that in reality it's, it's not unforgivable. In fact, I read these words to them. I'm convinced neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I don't make empty promises to them, but I encourage them to hold on to Jesus as they deal with the selfishness and the cruelty and the devastation of suicide in their family. This question is not nearly as burning, but a lot of people ask this question when it comes to death. Does the Bible prohibit cremation? A lot of people are curious about that. The reality is the Bible doesn't say either way. There is no biblical prohibition and, and the argument that, that you don't want to be cremated and scattered because you're not sure whether or not God will be able to like gather you back up again. God made you out of dust. I'm sure He can handle that, Okay. But the Bible actually doesn't say, I mean, no matter the question or circumstance that brings me to sit down with people as they contemplate how fragile in life is, really the one burning question that they're all really asking is, is questions about heaven. I remember sitting with Don Courtlever years ago after Don was given a short time to live because of lung cancer. We got together and I walked in the door and Don just cut to the chase. He said, Greg, tell me about heaven. So I did. I talked about Jesus and peace and assurance and eternity. And I, I reminded Don that heaven is outside of time and space. And so even though it might seem like a long time to him, the Bible says that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. I said, Don, this is what it means. It means when you get to heaven and step across the threshold, if you look right back over your shoulder, we'll all be right behind you. 
that helped him because of the family that he was leaving behind. And I did my best to tell him what I knew to be true about heaven, but, but the reality is a lot of us have a hard time separating fact from fiction when it comes to heaven. I mean, there's a lot of pop culture media stuff that revolves around heaven that's simply not true, and, and it creates some twisted ideas. So we're going to try and separate fact from fiction this weekend. And, and let me start by saying that some of us freak out a little bit when it comes to heaven because we've got this twisted picture in our mind. I mean, we have this image of, of spending the rest of eternity you know, transformed into a chubby little baby wearing a diaper and playing a heart and a harp and, and, and eating Philadelphia cream cheese. Or, or some of you are like, we're going to sing in a choir for like all of eternity. And some of you are like, that sounds more like hell than heaven to me. I mean, then I don't want to be biased, but that's just tough for me. So I'm going to take 26 minutes and give you as much as I can, but I need you to understand something. We could talk about this for 26 hours and not even scratch the surface. But let's just start, okay? Let's start with what Jesus tells us about heaven. That sounds like a great place to start. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus starts with comfort. That should tell us something. These ideas and thoughts about heaven should comfort us. So he says this to his, his closest friends, don't let your hearts be troubled. Then he says, trust in God, trust also in me. I love that Jesus reinforces a point we've made through this questioning series that we need to come to a place of conviction. He says, come to this place, trust in God and trust in me. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. And I'm going to go there and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. I mean, just out of this little slice of scripture, we learn this about heaven. Number one, heaven's an actual place. It's an actual place. Scripture doesn't say that, it, that it's a state of being or a level that you can ascend to. It says it's actually a place. And some of you are like, well, where in the world is it? I have no idea. Here's what I can tell you. Go to the edge of the cosmos, imagine infinity beyond that, and you're probably not even in the neighborhood. But the Bible says it's an actual place. Secondly, Jesus said heaven is being prepared as an eternal home for believers. Okay, you guys know this. I'm a biblical literalist. I believe the Bible says what it says when I like it and when I don't. Creation, according to the Bible, took place in seven actual days. That's why Jesus taught, or the God told us about morning and night, and so he actually benchmarked that. So I believe it. Seven actual days, and we could have a really nice argument about whether it's an age day theory and, and all that kind of stuff. Here's what I want you to contemplate. If God could make this in seven days, imagine what he is doing in a heaven he's been working on for 2,000 years. I mean, just think about that. Just try to wrap your head around it. I mean, the Bible says that the San Juan Islands, the Cascade Mountains, the Grand Canyon, all of those things, they're beautiful to us, but they pale in comparison to what God's got waiting for us in heaven. He also teaches this, that heaven is the promise for all those who believe on Jesus. I mean, the hope that we have in suffering is that there's a home waiting for those of us who trust in God fully and completely. And I used to read John 14, and I ran into that little word, room, in my father's house are many rooms, and I'm like, that's it? I mean, because I'm thinking Motel 6, right? That's not cool, right? It sounds a little cold, a little separated, but that's not the picture. If I, let me unpack the language as best I can. God's not building a house for his family. He's creating a home. You know what a home is, right? 
It's a place where you're fully accepted with full knowledge of just exactly who you are. The Bible says that's what God is creating. I mean, Jesus speaks of heaven in Scripture. I mean, why wouldn't He? It's His home, and one day He says it's going to be our home too. And so if you're ever wondering, if you were a follower of Jesus, and you just have one of those days when you just don't feel like you fit here, I mean, it just doesn't seem to make sense to you. In fact, you have a longing for something more than this. There is a word for that. Let me tell you what you're experiencing. You're homesick. And that's normal. It's tough, but it's very, very normal. You're just homesick. So let's press deeper into what the Bible has to say about heaven. Acknowledging this. Everything I'm going to say in the next couple of minutes... I'm trying to do something impossible because the Bible says it's impossible to try and describe just the beauty and the majesty of heaven. In fact, Scripture says we look at heaven like like it's through a glass that's dark and it's stained and there's fingerprints all over it. We can't see how clearly. So here's what I need you to do. Everything that I'm going to say, I need you to take it and magnify that by infinity and you're not even close to describing the majesty and the beauty of heaven. But I'm going to give it my best shot, okay? Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says heaven's a place of perfect intimacy. Revelation 21 verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Okay? Some of you had the courage to actually ask this question. Is there sex in heaven? That's what you wanted to know. I don't know what that says about you for asking that question. You kind of weirded me out by throwing that one out there, but, but you know what? I don't know if that physical act will happen in heaven, but here's what I do know. Heaven is a place of perfect intimacy. No head games, no insecurities, no bargaining, no fear. Just the intimate perfection of knowing that you are completely loved and anticipated. Like a groom standing at the end of the wedding aisle waiting for his almost wife to come around the corner. I will never forget that feeling. I've experienced that. Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Alpine Church of God. I'm standing at the end of the aisle and I'm waiting for Laurel to come around the edge of the aisle. I haven't seen her. I haven't seen the dress. I haven't seen anything. And she comes around the corner and I'll put it this way. For me to be speechless, that's a really big deal. And it was like, she just comes around the I'm like, wow. I mean like, Whoa, like, shoot, that's good, that's good, she bought it, right, she believed, I mean, here we are, this is going to be, this is going to be really, really good for me, it's that anticipation, here's what I can tell you, heaven will be intimate and pure and giddy, and it's going to take your breath and all of your words away. Because there's perfect intimacy. Secondly, heaven's a place of perfect relationship. Revelation 21, 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God's with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. Have you ever been with a group of friends that you so love and trust that you start a conversation and all of a sudden you look down at your watch and hours have gone by? Have you ever been in one of those places It's just so beautiful? Have, have you ever been at the end of a long day of work and, 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 and you know there's somebody waiting for you at home and your thought is just this, if I can just get home and get across the door threshold, then I'll be safe and it'll be good. 
That's just a glimpse of the relational perfection of heaven. So the Bible says God will be with us and we will be with Him. And all of our relationships will be complete. I mean, we've been talking about suffering and the reality is a lot of suffering comes out of the fact that our human relationships are broken. So if you don't get anything else this morning, let me just encourage you with this. When you get to heaven, there will be no relational drama anywhere. Doesn't that make you feel better? I mean, all of the relationships are going to revolve around Jesus. Now, I want to tell you something. If you're a follower of Christ, you're actually supposed to be using Jesus as a filter for your relationships now. You're practicing, okay? But when we get home, our relationships will be whole and not broken. They're going to revolve around Christ, and He's actually going to be there in the center. And we'll be able to relate to each other through Him. Here's the incredible thing. We're actually going to know each other. So like, Lindsay cuts my hair, but I'm going to know Lindsay in heaven. I mean, it's like, hey, remember when my gray started coming in and, you know, that whole thing, you know? We're going to have relationship with each other. I'm going to know Colin. Colin's going to know me. I'm going to know Larry. Larry's going to know me. I mean, we're going to have that opportunity to relate, but it's going to be done in the perfection of Jesus in the center. Bible says this, heaven is a place of perfect existence. Revelation 21, 4, he'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. One of your burning questions that came up repeatedly was this, eternity is a long time and we're going to be there forever. Isn't heaven going to get boring? That was the question. And the, and the reason for that is because our world and our lives today are just a series of vain repetitions, and we take that and transfer it to eternity, and yeah, that does sound boring. I mean, think about it. You're going to get up on Monday morning, then you're going to make the same cup of coffee in the same cup. You're going to get into the same car that you always do and hit the same garage door button. You're going to back out and drive the same route to work, and you're going to do the same job with the same group of people that you do every other day. At the end of the day, you're going to go back home again on the same route, hit the same garage door opener, go inside, eat pretty much the same meal, watch the same television shows. At the end of the day, you're going to crawl into the same bed that you always crawl into and get up the next morning and do it all over again. It's vain repetition. But Scripture says this in heaven, the old order of things has passed away. So imagine eternity as an endless adventure that you never have to experience twice. That every day is new. And around every corner is something new. And there's no fear of death or sickness or impending meltdowns or pain. No, there's actually something called perfect renewal. That's the next blank in your outline. Revelation 21.5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new, okay? In great deference to my friends from the Pacific Northwest, I hate to break it to you, but there is no recycling in heaven. It's all new, okay? It's new. New bodies, new minds, new thoughts, new wholeness, new perfection, new, new thoughts, new perspective, new joy. I mean, all of that new stuff. In fact, the Bible even says you're going to get a new you, and you're going to be perfect. You're going to exchange this broken down earth suit for something that's eternal, that doesn't have problems and issues. It's going to be completely and totally new. And in that state, you're going to experience something else, new and perfect peace. Revelation 7, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear 
from their eyes. I love this one. It means this. It means in heaven there's no more striving. There's no more having to work in order to make ends meet. There's no more work just for the sake of work. There's no more just trying to put food on the table because it will be there in abundance. Now let's just be honest for a second. This verse doesn't mean much to American Christians who have full refrigerators and drink bottled water. Do you know why this is there? It's there for the children that I met in India who live on a cup of rice a day, who drink out of a sewage ditch. When you've lived that, when you've suffered that way, how beautiful it is that Jesus is so unbelievably detailed that he would say to the majority of the world who goes hungry and thirsty, how beautiful is it that he would come to them and say, when you get to heaven, you will never have to worry about that again. Because I'll take you to the river of life and you'll be able to drink until you're completely refreshed. And I'm the bread of life and there will be an abundance of food there that will boggle your mind and you will be completely and totally satisfied because you are never going to want for anything ever, ever again. This verse may not mean much to us, but to the rest of the world, that, my friends, sounds like heaven. The Bible says heaven is a place of perfect worship. Revelation 19, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let's rejoice and be glad and give Him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and white, was given her to wear. Let me tell you why it is we're going to worship. We're going to worship because Jesus is going to step into the center of heaven and He's going to make a proclamation over those of us who don't deserve to wear white. We should be wearing black because that's what we did. We've done evil in the sight of God and yet Jesus is going to step in and he's going to look at his bride and he's going to say, you're going to wear white because I say so. You're going to wear white because Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed us white as snow. If, I mean, we have to be able to get this. The reason we're going to worship is because we get to wear white because Jesus wore red. We're coming to Easter. Does everybody get that? We get to wear white because Jesus wore black. He took the sin of all of us on himself so that we in heaven could be fully cleansed, fully perfected. And in that moment, we will worship because Jesus will become our perfect focus. Let me read to you my favorite five verses in the entire Bible. Revelation 19. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. And he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. He's wearing red. And his name is the word of God and the armies of heaven are following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he'll rule them with an iron scepter. And he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
I love those verses. That's the king that we will serve. Now, okay, we're going to take a crazy left turn here. One of your burning questions was, is it okay to get a tattoo? Lots of you wanted to know the answer to that question. So I'm like, ah, where are we going? Stick with me, okay? There's an Old Testament prohibition that was connected to the fact that God didn't want his children, the Israelites, looking like their enemies who used to ceremonially mark themselves. And so the Old Testament, it says you weren't supposed to mark yourself that way. However, it appears in Revelation 19 that because Jesus has a name written on his thigh, that whether you like it or not, Jesus has ink. Okay? Now, okay, now. So some of you are like, whoa, let's go. You know, hold on, all right? Even though Jesus has a tat, you need to understand this. The Bible also says, honor your father and your mother, and wisdom should tell you this. At some point, gravity will take over, and it's not pretty, all right? Are we tracking together on that one? Okay. I'm going to get some letters from some moms on that one. It's in the Bible, okay? All right. Jesus, the warrior, is going to ride into the center of eternity and all of the praise and glory of his people is going to be focused on the one who forgave our sin and relieved our suffering and brought us home. And that's going to bring us to a place of perfect resolution. Revelation 21, 27, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Heaven says there's a moment coming when all of your questions will be answered and all of your doubts will be gone and you will exchange all of the whys of this world for the how and the who of heaven. So there's just a couple of facts. That's what the Bible says. You'll notice in my description I never said one word about the streets of gold. Do you guys know for sure if that's in your Bible or not? Actually, it is. Revelation 21, 21. But don't think gold bar. In fact, Scripture says that the gold in heaven is so pure, you can actually see through it. It's transparent. It reflects an image of Jesus. I haven't said anything about Philadelphia cream cheese or angels that speak with Scottish accents. I mean, we could have thrown in a lot of different things there. Instead, we've just focused on how the Bible just keeps pointing in one direction, saying heaven is your home and it's a place of unrestrained love and perfection. Don't miss it. Don't get so caught up focusing on this temporary little slice of eternity. No, spend this life preparing and getting ready for the rest of your eternity. You know, there was a disturbing theme in some of the questions that came in. In fact, one person just asked it this bluntly. They said, so how little can I do and still get in? Wow. How little can I do and still get it? I don't know how you ask that question to a God who gave it all. I don't know. And I think that that troubling fact, you know, what's underneath of that question is the simple fact that there's a lot of people in this world who love having Jesus as their Savior. They see Him as a fire insurance policy against hell, but the reality is, Jesus doesn't just want to be your Savior. He wants to be the Lord of your life. 
And, and there's a scary little story in Scripture where Jesus describes a group of people who show up on the edge of heaven and, and they make this statement. They actually know him by name. They say, Lord, Lord, look at all this really cool stuff that we did. We prophesied. We did miracles. We came to worship nights. We showed up on time on daylight savings time weekend. I mean, look at all of this amazing stuff. Lord, Lord. And the heartbreaking, heartbroken response of Jesus is, you did a lot of nice things, but there's a problem. You don't know me. You don't know my heart. You don't know that I don't operate with bare minimums. When I came to save your soul, I did everything. I paid the full price. So because you don't know me, I don't, I don't know you. I want to. I wanted to. Calling him Lord and making him Lord are two completely different things. My prayer today is that you would name Jesus not only as your Savior, but as your Lord, knowing that for those people who trust and love God fully and completely, you have a promise that you can walk out with today. That is, no matter how difficult this broken world gets, you have a home waiting for you. And it will be perfect. So here's my burning question for you. Have you answered the personal question of heaven with absolute certainty? And if you answered it so fully that there's absolutely no question in the people around you and in your world whether or not you've already taken out citizenship in heaven. See, if you're a citizen of heaven, you should actually be preparing and living your life in anticipation of that whole thing, which means uh, the world should be able to tell a difference. So this is a tragic moment from last week for me. I'm sitting with a family, getting ready to prepare a funeral for their father, and this is their tragic question. Grant, how can we know for sure that our dad's in heaven? Apparently, he was a really nice guy. But they don't know for sure if he's in heaven because apparently there were some question marks. Could you guys do me a favor as a pastor? Would you, would you please remove the question marks from your family about your eternal destiny? My son was here at the 10 o'clock service, totally embarrassed him. But I just said straight out to him, like, Braden, here's one thing you can know about your dad. You already know he's a broken human being. You know he makes a lot of mistakes. But here's the one thing that you can know. When he is dead, he's alive. He's alive. I mean, we actually, we actually had this awkward conversation right here with a thousand people listening in. Could you please go and have that awkward conversation with your family? Can you just sit down with them and say, look, you may think I'm a total freak, but here's what you need to know. I love Jesus with everything inside of me. That's why I live my life the way that I do. And you need to know this. On my funeral day, this is the one thing that can comfort your heart. I am not here. I'm at home with Jesus in heaven. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. And so you can just relax because I'll be just fine. I mean... It, what an incredible gift to be able to give people. And if you've never experienced that, if you're not sure of heaven today, in a moment we're going to pray and I'm going to ask, be sure today. Because you can't predict tomorrow any more than I can. Nobody knows for sure what tomorrow is. 
I mean, good grief. We drive the guide meridian. I mean, how? I could go further. I'm not going to. <laughs> leave, leave it alone, Grant. Okay, so. We need to live today not like there's no tomorrow. We need to live today like there is a tomorrow. Because for those who know Jesus, there is a tomorrow and a tomorrow and a tomorrow. And when the end of this life comes, there's a tomorrow and a tomorrow and a tomorrow. And if you don't know that in the bottom of your heart, you can. In fact, let's talk to Jesus about that right now. Would you pray with me? Father God, I pray for every person who is here today who doesn't have a personal assurance of heaven. And I pray that right now they would believe what Scripture says, that if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Jesus, you wore black so we could wear white. You wore red so we could wear white. We love you for that and we're grateful for that. Lord, I pray for every person here that they would know with absolute assurance that Jesus is both Savior and Lord of their life. They're not living for this broken little slice of time. But they're laying up for themselves treasures in heaven. Knowing that one day they'll get to exchange all the whys of this world for the how and the who of Jesus of heaven. Father, I invite your Holy Spirit to come right now and to just speak to those of us who are here. God, allow us to to fully grasp the price you paid to allow our citizenship in heaven. May we be humbled by that each day, each moment. Father, I want to pray for the young man or young woman who sent me a burning question. Because maybe their question isn't just theirs. Maybe it's a lot of people's. Lord, I pray for the young man or young woman who sent me the question, is it possible that I've done so much bad that I can never, ever see heaven? Father, I pray in this moment you would speak grace to that person. I pray that they would hear you speak to that huge pile of sin in their past and I pray that they would hear you sing Jesus paid it all all to him you owe sin left a crimson stain but he washed it white as snow Lord may they know today that there is nothing they have ever done that can't be wiped clean by the amazing grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ May they leave here today forgiven and set free. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the promise of heaven and how it sustains us here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
You know, one of the things about heaven is that it's a perfect community. And normally at Christ the King, we let people have a quiet moment where they accept Christ and raise their hand. This weekend, I just want you to get a little piece of what community can really look like. And if you felt the Lord talking to you and you're not sure of heaven after the service, some of us are going to come and stand up here across the front. We'd love nothing more than for you to go home today knowing that there's another home waiting for you. We'd like to know your name. We'd like to spend a little time and just talk and pray. So after the service, if you feel like the Lord's been knocking on your heart, don't just walk out into the parking lot, back into the world that's a tough place. Come this direction. We're just going to talk about Jesus, that's all. The Bible says one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Bible says one day every tongue and every tribe will fall in front of that great white rider on that house, on that horse and we will worship him in spirit and in truth then here's the cool thing um, that family actually circles this whole globe can I introduce you to some of the people that you're going to spend eternity worshiping and praising God with let me just show you just a couple of people can I get the first picture I'd like to introduce you to Pastor Galilee he, he leads Christ the King Church in Haiti this group of believers, they've been through a lot over the last year with the earthquake and all the rest of the stuff that happened. But in just a couple of months, they've gone from one church to six churches with over 500 people worshiping Jesus. Can I see the next picture? I'd like to introduce you to some friends in the Philippines. This is a group of believers that were just baptized. Pastor Ronaldo is there. In a short amount of time, they've gone from one church to six churches with over 600 Filipino brothers and sisters worshiping the same Jesus we will worship in heaven. Can I get the next picture? I'd like to introduce you to the pastor of 14 different churches in Pakistan. You need to understand something. Every time these guys go to church, they risk their life. Many of their church members have been killed for doing what we just finished. But there are over a thousand believers in Pakistan now. And here's the cool thing. The Bible says when we get to heaven, we're all going to get a crown of glory. Apparently, Pastor Shabazz got his early, you know? But that's awesome. That's just awesome. Can I see the next picture? I mean, in India, Pastor Yadija Parker, this guy started churches. because I'm going to tell you the t-shirt story someday. He found a t-shirt with Christ the King Church on it. That's how he got connected to us. And now he's ordained over 400 pastors. There's 5,000 plus people. It could be as many as 50,000. We have no idea. And today in India, they're worshiping and praising the same Jesus that we're going to worship in heaven. Can I get the next picture? In Kenya, this is Pastor Austin. They now have 11 worship centers, over 500 people. Most of their churches are in slums. These are the people that understand the promise of heaven when Jesus talks about food and water because they don't have that. Let me give you one more picture. This is Titus Coetzee. What an amazing guy. The, the church in Africa has now grown to 45 worship centers, over 5,800 people. It could be as many as 58,000. We have no idea. He was a lawyer, and then Jesus got a hold of him, and now he's pastoring over 45 churches in many different countries. In fact, here's a list of the African countries. Zimbabwe, Nigeria, Ghana, Somalia, the Ivory Coast, and Uganda. And that's just the Christ, the King story. That's just our tiny little slice. Jesus is doing this work all over the globe. And one day, we're going to join together with brothers and sisters from different tribes and different tongues. And it's going to be absolutely perfect. That's the hope of heaven. If you hear that message, you shouldn't need medication after today. Because that's the hope of heaven right there.
All right, so here's what we're gonna do, okay? We're not done yet. I'm gonna go overtime. I would say I'm sorry, but I'm not, so I'm not gonna lie, okay? We're just gonna go a little overtime, but here's the deal. The ushers are gonna start in the back, work their way towards the front, and we're gonna take a little piece of, of heaven now, just like we're gonna do at the worship night tonight, and we're gonna sing some songs about heaven. When the offering passes you by, stand up and sing with us. Don't just bold for the parking lot. Let's just take a little slice here and put our focus in the right place. If you're visiting with us, when the offering passes you by, just let it pass you by. We don't want anything from you at all. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you'll come back and see us next week. But when it does pass you by, let's stand. Let's practice and rehearse for heaven. Let's sing about Jesus, who is the promise for eternity. God bless you guys. Have a good week.